first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. We finally have a resolution in this case. Um, however, I think it is important to highlight how unfortunate it is that a then 15-year-old was ever put into that position in the first place, and as well as to highlight the fact that no student, no person, should ever have to advocate for their very humanity on behalf of themselves. Those words from Gavin Grimm say it all. This saga is over. Until the next time. Hi again, everybody. Carly Chardonnay-Webb here, and this is the Transporter Room. The intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, fantasy, geek culture, gaming, and other stuff. And the Supreme Court on Monday decided enough is enough about the bathroom panic. They decided not to wade into yet another challenge to the right of a high school kid who's not a high school kid anymore to use the bathroom. The case of Gavin Grimm versus the Gloucester County School Board in Virginia ended with the Supreme Court saying, we're going to uphold the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals decision, Fourth Circuit, that found that the school's policy discriminated against him. Now, this case has been going on for six years now. And in Gavin's words, he's glad it's over, but... He doesn't want another kid to go through what he's had to go through. I don't want any kid to be in the position where they're not allowed to use the bathroom, so they have to stand up for themselves. No kid should have to go through that. And so I don't necessarily want to say that I'd like to inspire kids to go through that horrible thing. But if you are a child and you find yourself in that position where your school is denying you basic human rights, then absolutely I feel like you should feel empowered to stand up for yourself and fight back. Throughout this Pride weekend, celebrations continued around the nation and around the world. Nice touch with the Sophie tribute to end West Hartford pride from around the corner to across the country. Minnesota Lynx, Las Vegas Aces in Minnesota. Laisha Clarendon continuing her incredible run with the Lynx. Clarendon dropping it into fouls. The patience on that possession. 20.7 assists, including the dish here to Sylvia smooth Fowles, who had 30 as Minnesota got the win in overtime. They're 7-7 seven and seven on the year. But the big story was the game and who got honored at the game. J.C. Cooper, power lifter, great Minnesotan, general all-around badass, honored with the Inspiring Women Award during Pride Night by the Lynx. That's a big deal, well-earned, and it's good to know that J.C. Cooper is not only a friend of me, but a friend of the podcast. Congrats, J.C. It is well earned. And then let's head across the Atlantic. Trans Pride London. Now, if you think being a trans person in the United States is hard, try being one in Britain. 
They don't call the place Turf Island for nothing, but over 10,000 hitting the streets in old London town to say that trans rights and trans lives matter. But don't take my word for it. Listen to Abigail Thorne. I don't want pity. I don't want condescension or charity. I don't even want visibility and representation. I want control over my own goddamn life. doesn't fire you up to keep the movement going beyond this pride month i don't know what to tell you also this week the national football league has decided to up the ante so to speak on last week's announcement of las vegas raiders defensive end carl nassip who came out and affirmed his truth on instagram and since then he's been at the center of some attention but also the league is stepping up a little bit they have not only matched his $100,000 donation to the Trevor Project, they said that they're going to do even more. And they said so in an ad that they just put out a couple of days ago. The NFL, they're saying they're so decay. On the surface, this looks good. But that's just it. This is only the surface. My memo to Roger Goodell. You say the NFL is gay and the NFL is lesbian, the NFL is queer. And I noticed you put the words, the NFL is transgender. As a transgender football fan, I got two words for you, Mr. Commissioner. Prove it. And you have a chance to do so. Because of the matter of 15 states, what all these states have in common is two things. One, all these states have put forth, introduced, debated, passed, or defeated bills that would legalize discrimination against transgender people. And secondly, all the states have at least one NFL team playing in its borders. Commissioner Goodell, if you really believe the message you're sending out in this ad, here's an opportunity to prove it. Implore the owners of those teams and officials with those teams to go to their state governments, go to their congressional delegations, and say, we affirm LGBTQ rights and we think you should too. Which means, end these anti-trans bills in your state. And go to Washington, get it together, and get the Equality Act passed. You're the most popular sport in this country. You have a cultural hold on the people of this nation. In some ways, the NFL is a piece of the soul of the country. This is an opportunity to use that power to do some good. And now from football to the hammer throw. You know, it's one of those odd things that most people are only interested every four years. Well, a lot of people are talking about a hammer throw named Gwen Berry. Now, Gwen Berry, once again, got on the podium and protested the flag. Now, Gwen's done this before. She did it at the Pan Am Games a couple of years ago. 
This really isn't new, but all this outrage. Wow, I didn't know this many people were interested in the hammer throw. Who knew? But I'm hearing all the things certain Congress people are talking about. She shouldn't be on the team. and Others are saying she's disgracing our flag. Yeah, but a Confederate flag in, in the Capitol building was okay for a lot of you people just back on January 6th. Once again, I've got to beg the question. And I'm speaking as an African-American. I'm speaking as a transgender American. Do you really think rally around the flag is going to resonate with someone like me? Think about it. And really, as we head into this 4th of July, I think a lot of people's inner Frederick Douglass are going to come out. What to me is an African-American seeing my voting rights in the balance? is the 4th of July. To the families of 600,000 of our fellow Americans who are dead now, mainly due to indifference at the time when leadership was needed in the coronavirus crisis, what to them will be the 4th of July? To me as a transgender American who is seeing hundreds of bills in almost in about two-thirds of this country right now that would legalize discrimination against me. What is the 4th of July? Answer that question and get back to me, please. And with that in mind, the guest tonight comes from New Zealand, a country that in Olympic sports has kind of gotten to prominence because of one person in particular. Especially with the Tokyo Games coming up, the opening ceremonies are scheduled for July 23rd. That's coming fast around the corner, but a date that a lot of people are looking at is Monday, August 2nd. Because that is the day of the weightlifting 87 plus kilograms prelims and finals for women. That's when it happens, and there's one particular competitor whose name is on everyone's lips right now, and it's Laurel Hubbard of New Zealand. Unless something happens in the BMX freestyle to where American Chelsea Wolf will have to be pressed into competition, Hubbard will be the first transgender individual athlete in Olympic history to step in and compete. She will walk onto a lifting platform in Tokyo on August 2nd, and she will live an Olympic dream. An Olympic dream that some feel she should not have the chance to pursue. There's been a lot of talk on a lot of sides of this issue. Much of that talk has been around the debate. Well, if you followed the podcast long enough, you know how I feel about the debate. I feel it shouldn't be a debate at all. I've said time and time again, it's time to end the monster movie and get to the real human story of what these issues are really about. And on the transporter room, I'm bringing in someone who can speak succinctly and directly to the human side of the issue. Dr. Jamie Veal is a senior lecturer in the School of Psychology at Waikato University in New Zealand. They are also a board of director of the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, president of the Professional Association of Transgender Health, Aotearoa, 
and an associate editor of the International Journal in Transgender Health. Now, what all this means is this is a person who themselves is trans, but also can speak to the human side of what we're talking about. And it is a privilege to bring them in here to this forum. So, coordinates locked on Hamilton, New Zealand. Energize. Dr. Uh, Veal, or although you said I can use Jamie, so I will. Yes, Welcome to the transporter room. Quick molecule check. No, no doubles came in like, uh, like a Jamie Veal that like is down with Sofwa isn't on here. So that's a good thing. It didn't come in behind you. So that's a good thing. Um, welcome to the transporter room. It is great having you here. Perfect. Yes, uh, it's all it's all worked well. And let me just say, look, I'm so honored to be here. Um, thank you so much for the great work that you're doing. And um, I'm, I'm hope that I can just contribute in a little way to, to the conversation that's that's ongoing. Well, you've contributed in a lot of ways to the conversation. Uh, the genesis for this show was actually hearing you on RNZ last week as the as the team uh, as the team decision was made hubbard was named as a part of the new zealand contingent a five a five person contingent that are all olympic debutantes for you just as a first just as a new zealander and a trans new zealander what what was the feeling for you to hear that laurel hubbard is going to go and will compete in tokyo yeah look uh, I'm I'm really proud. Um, I think it's so important for our community, just like any any group, to have our leaders and our role models. So yeah, um, we're all everybody I've spoken to here is is really proud of Laurel. Um, yeah, and also yeah, there's been four Olympics now where where trans women have been allowed to compete. So yeah, I, I'm glad that it's finally happened, and yeah, I'm glad that it's that it's somebody from New Zealand who who we can all get behind. Well. In your mind, from like a psychology point of view, why does it sound like so? Why does it seem so many people sound like William Peters? Yeah, look, I think there's a lot of, I guess, um, fear out there or misinformation, which is causing people um, to, to, to. Or excuse to, me, Winston Peters. Why are so many people sounding like that guy? Winston Peters, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, um, we, we do unfortunately have our, uh, yeah, I, I guess our political leaders who, who might want to try and try and um, make some political gains from the, the yeah, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> there's some fear and misinformation out there. And unfortunately, that's leading to some really hurtful and hateful comments. So yeah, and I, I think, unfortunately, there's a bit, bit of stuff happening in the media about this. Particularly, I've noticed some of the the British media dead naming her, which which I think is just just really, just just really nasty. And and there's a lot of dehumanising stuff um, in the in the media as well, which which has just led to um, yeah led to led to more of the the negative perceptions, unfortunately. Now, going further with this point of view. Especially with something like this, because you had noted on R on RNZ that this, the way that this is being framed, is hurtful. And I can see it being trans myself. It it's very ang it, it induces a lot of anger, 
Especially like you see the dead naming of her when people are treating her as this monster. But in a real sense, based on based on the data, you've done surveys on this. And your most yeah. recent one was involved 1,100 trans people within your country. Yeah. What are the, for people that may not get it, what are we talking about as far as the effects of what we might see in the vitriol we're going to see over this next month or so? Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, we know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know um, about the, the, the massively high levels of stigma and discrimination that transgender people face in, in our societies. I'm sure you have it there um, in Turtle Island on, in the USA, and, and we have it here in Aotearoa, New Zealand as well. So, in, and so we had, um, unfortunately, here in, in, in New Zealand and, and in many other places, we didn't have any, we, we, were, we weren't counted in any of our national health surveys. So we did um, Counting Ourselves, which was the survey that you mentioned, the Aotearoa New Zealand Transgender Health Survey. Um, yeah, we found, um, you know, while, while there was 17% in the general population have been faced discrimination, we had 44% um, in, in trans people, and this is in the last year. Um, we have 11%, so that's one in nine have been de denied a home or apartment because they're trans or non-binary. And then when you're thinking about um, specifically with sports, 58% of our, of our participants had avoided the gym because of the fear of how they might be treated for being trans or non-binary. 50% had avoided sports teams because of fear of how they might be treated. Um, yeah, so we only had 14% um, of um, accounting ourselves participants um, actually participated and actively participated in sports competitions or events. And we are, we're a sports-loving nation here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So our 14% was much lower than the 26% in the general population. So some uh, real inequities and extra barriers for, for, um, for sport participation. And, you know, all the stuff about the, the fairness, this quote-unquote fairness issue, you know, I think we should actually be talking about you know, these additional barriers that trans people face in sports, that's the fairness issue, which I would prefer prefer us to be focusing on. How important was it that Jacinda Ardern, who's probably the most popular New Zealander in the world right now, and possibly the most popular head of state in the world right now, got out front and said... That's the case for Laurel, but also the team in New Zealand. They have followed the rules. The alternative is to have someone who's followed the rules but then is denied the ability to participate. Ultimately, I leave it to those bodies, and that's the decision they've made, and it's in keeping with the standard that's been set globally. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, yeah, it just shows that, that the level of support for her goes right to the top here. Yeah, and, and yeah, look, she's been a real... Um, she has been an advocate for, for trans rights, seeing that support right from the top. I think that actually is is reflecting a, what I mean, what I'm hearing from a lot of people in society that you know we actually, are, yeah, we, we actually really get behind our own. Um, Laurel's faced some some really massive um, so, some massive um, I guess barriers, like really to to face against the odds, so against these. IOC guidelines and this career-threatening injury that she's had. Um, so I think a lot of people here in New Zealand, not just the Prime Minister, are just saying, look, 
she just deserves she's done she's done um she's done what was required of her she just needs to like every other olympic competitor be able to just concentrate on her sport you've probably seen the mean tweets i've seen quite a bit of them about how it would be an embarrassment if she won a medal it be a, or or what's worse the people who willfully get the pro who willfully get the pronouns wrong who who call her may who call her male male biological male i, I actually want to touch on that yeah. what is the psychology behind these terms such as biological male what well, yeah. what is that what's really at play there when someone uses that term yeah so look, what I what I think is that actually is, is really these people showing their true colours. So often you'll see this couched in this, you know, we're supposedly um, protecting women, and when they say women, they read, you know, just cis women. They're, they're obviously excluding trans women from their definition of woman. And look, when they then they're blatantly misgendering like that, you know, it, it's just showing that actually it's coming out that what this is really about is not about. Um, supposedly protecting women, but you know this is about not seeing Laurel for who she is, um, and not seeing Laurel as a, as as the woman that she is. Um, and so, yeah, really, this this comes down to this prejudice that that not seeing trans women as equal citizens and and being able to be treated as human beings in the same way that that cis cisgender women are. You got your PhD nine years ago. Yeah, and you. What was what was the climb to get there like? Well, I mean, you're dealing with you're getting a PhD, but at the same time, you're dealing with this m massive life change that you go through to become. Oh, so you talking about transition? Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting. That's what I'm getting at here. Well, yeah, I say, so how'd you I get there? How did you get? How did you get there? How were you able to push through it? Because, yeah. You may have the even with the privilege and the access, and that's one thing people harp on with Laurel Hubbard a lot is that Laurel Hubbard's family comes from means. They come from means. They're like a kind of a big. The Hubbards are like a big wheel in the country. This kid's got had a lot of privilege. Yeah. I think a lot of people. First off, what's your thoughts when people hit hit you with that? The reality is that that Laurel is is a trailblazer. You know, somebody has to be the first trans woman to compete. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, whoever that was going to be, yeah, the, there might be some privilege, but the reality is that she's the first, so, so that she is being a trailblazer there. You know, even the most conservative estimates of the number of people in the population who are trans. Um, and you think about the number of athletes that we have at the Olympics. I just checked it out. We have, we're going to have 11,000 athletes at the, at the Tokyo Olympics. Even with the most conservative estimates of transgender people, number of transgender people, you'd expect at least tens, you know, even up to a hundred trans people there if there was equality for trans people or if these fears had come to pass of, of supposedly trans people, trans women completely dominating. But, you know, that's not the case. Yep, you heard that sound. That means we got to take a little break. we got to pay a few bills. got to give a little love to our sponsors. But when we come back... Want to get in a little bit deeper on this and some other topics because we've got somebody who can go that deep. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is the Transporter Room. Stay with us.
And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, and in the Transporter Room, we've got Dr. Jamie Veal with us, researcher, trans activist, educator from New Zealand. We're talking about some Hubbard. We're talking about all the hubbub around her, the facts, the fiction, the myths, and the reality of what we could be seeing next month in Tokyo. Before we go further in that, I want to know one question. What was your story? How did you get here? Being trans in Aotearoa, New Zealand, I, I, yeah, I, um, I'm growing up in the, yeah, the 80s and uh, 90s here. I guess I, we didn't really... You know, I, I didn't really have any words for it until the 90s when, you know, we started to get the internet and um, I'm sure a lot of other trans trans people of my, I guess, vintage will, will have similar stories that, you know, that was just the mind-blowing time where, um, you know, we could we could actually connect with one another across across the world and um, on this great new thing called the internet. Um, I, I don't know, you, you it, was, it was probably much before your time there, Carly, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're. Oh, we're guessing ages, aren't we? <laughs> I have a feeling we're about in the same place. Oh, we're. I think in many ways we're at about in the same. We're about in the same place because I mean, my first time I really was getting information was in the 1990s. Took yeah. a little bit longer for me to get there, but yeah, I mean, but talk about that. How important was that? Was that information boom for your own development? in the 90s because for many of us the 1990s and the and the internet was the first time that we actually saw information that wasn't sensationalized wasn't yeah. overly sexualized but very factual yeah absolutely it, it was so important i think for me as well just being able to reach out and you know i was in a yeah in a fairly conservative city in, in new zealand you know I guess a long way away from a lot of other people, and I'm sure a lot of other of your other listeners. Yeah, and even before that, I remember I would I would you know sneak, well not necessarily sneak, but go to the library and go to that that section in the library where there's the the, the trans section, I guess, and um, you know, I wouldn't let anybody else know that I'd been been getting out these books, and you know some of those books were. were we're, we're okay, and some of them, like you say, were, were a little bit sensationalized. Um, but yeah, the internet just gave that chance to connect with other folks, and I think that was super important. Uh, it eventually really helped me to be able to, to come out um, and, and affirm my gender um, and stack hormones and, and, and go down that pathway. Um, yeah, there were, there were some difficulties along the way. Back in those days, you had to, um, I guess in the, we're talking about the late 90s now, you and and as as you often still do, um, you know they send you to a psychologist, and, and the, the first one I got, unfortunately, was somebody who, um, yeah, was came from a, a I guess a perspective that was um, very pathologizing and and very much like um, you know like um, you don't fit the you don't fit the the supposed mold of um, of being trans like that that old school way of you know, you having to be hyper feminine, um, yeah. So, so you know that that set me back for a while, and and, and I guess that looking back, that those kind of experiences did um, push me eventually towards working with with folks like WPATH. Um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do, but 
helping to remove some of those barriers and a lot of that pathologization, which um, which unfortunately has has persisted in in, in our healthcare, um, and 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 continues to persist to through to today. Um, yeah, so yeah, I had some 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 setbacks there, and um, yeah, I perhaps you know wasn't always as confident as perhaps I could have been, but you know I got there, and um, I, I'm really happy that I've I've had a really supportive family. Uh, I've had um, some some wonderful friends that I've met along the way. And yeah, like I mentioned before, some wonderful work colleagues and collaborators who, who I have now who, who help me with, with doing, doing the work that I do. Yeah, it really is a team effort. Now, as far as that pathologization, I mean, cause having gone through some of the process in the past, working through WPATH now, how much of that has changed and what still needs to? Yeah, yeah, look... I think it's it's changing quickly. I think there's going to be new, uh, there are new standards of care, I guess, being updated, and there's some really good people involved in that, creating um, greater access, fewer barriers. But um, you know, maybe maybe we're, we're not quite there yet. At least um, you know, WPATH as, as an organisation perhaps perhaps isn't quite there. Um, the pathologization, I think that's that's been a massive shift, not just in the, the I guess the healthcare settings, but you know also just in people's mindsets and just seeing trans people, uh, non-binary people, how we actually see ourselves, um, and, and not internalizing that that those negative ideas about ourselves. It's really negative stories that are coming out about trans people, unfortunately. And for example, with Laurel Hubbard, unfortunately, there still is a lot of that negative transphobia stuff in there. And so, the more that we can be pushing towards pushing away from the the pathologizing um, view of just seeing trans as being gender dysphoria, so we're moving there with with trans people. We're a bit behind, um, but yeah, I, I think movement backlash is a thing um, which we're seeing right now so while there is a lot of progress there's, there's always going to be the backlash so it's expected to some extent although obviously disappointing especially with some of the areas where it's coming from reading some of the past wpath guidelines i'm talking about the pat the distant distant past not not the recent but i look back and i would think some say psychologists would not let me through the gate because I was an athlete. In the past, I would be looked at as no, you're not really trans because you're not. I love sports. Sports are sports to me is like oxygen. Yeah. How much can sport play a role? There are some people in the trans community who say that Laurel going to the Olympics is a bad idea. It's going to set us back. Look, I would just come back to it's it's a massive deal for for like why are trans people any different from anybody else? We should have the right to be able to exist in all parts of society. Yeah, it's not going to be for everybody, but you know, for the folks, the wonderful folks like you, and you know, it's been a big part of my life too. Actually, I I've played a lot of you know not I'm, I'm nowhere near as I've never made it to any elite levels, but. Um, yeah, I've, I've played a lot of, um, you probably don't know the sport cricket, but um, I've also played a lot of, um, when I lived in Canada, played a lot of softball. Um, yeah, sport is massive um, for so many people, so many queer communities. It's a great way to connect, um, connect with other folks um, and, and be part of something bigger. And, 
Yeah, sadly, like some of the statistics I, I said at the beginning, you know, these these added barriers that trans people face, it's it's just part of the problem which we need to be undoing. So, so what was it like playing both sports? And playing both sports authentically. Yeah, what was yeah. that feeling like for you? Yeah, it, it's great. Um, well, I think... <laughs> On the one hand, it's, I think it's just like everybody else who loves sports, right? It's, you know, you enjoy the sport. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, when I was, I guess, earlier on, after I'd, I'd perhaps been, uh, when it was closer to when I transitioned, um, it, it was, you know, it was actually a, a really big deal then. Um, nowadays, I guess it's perhaps more just like, um, you know, more just like everybody else. But, you know, for, for me earlier on, it was massive. The first time I told a starting line knowing that this is, I'm not representing a shell of what I was, I'm representing me now. Yeah. It, it, I was just so excited and so happy. And at the same time, there were tears flowing just before, just before the horn went off for this first race I did. So there, hey, I'm with you. There's a lot of emotion there. But one thing for you, what was the moment when you said, I had to, I have to be me, no matter what? When I was young, like perhaps 14 or so, um, you know, figuring all these things out as, as often we are when we're going through those ages. Um, yeah, I decided to just, you know, sit down with myself and think, you know, what's, what's going on here? Who, you know, um, yeah, who are you? Like, how, how can you fully be yourself? Um, yeah, and then I just decided there and I, I knew it was going to happen, but I knew it would take some time because, yeah, back in those days and um, it, it, was, it, was, it was, this was the 90s we're talking about, it was tough um, to, for, for a teenager and, and I talked to you about some of my difficult experience, that was difficult experiences with a psychologist that was towards my later teens. Um, yeah, it took some time, um, but I got there in the end and, you know, and, and some 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 ways, you know, there was some parts of the journey. You know, sometimes you've got to enjoy the, enjoy the ride. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not happy that there were those barriers there. And uh, would I want to put that on anybody else? No, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm quite lucky that, um, yeah, I've been able to be fairly sheltered and, and be able to um, be able to have the, the freedom to be able to 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 get there in the end. A couple more things around this out, the important stuff, because now we're coming up fast on opening ceremonies. Yeah. It's going to intensify. What are the myths that you're seeing in the reporting, and what are the things that especially sports reporters need to know about this story to avoid getting caught in the myths and getting caught in what I call the monster movie about this yeah. whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it sounds like you have some great points on, on all of this. So, yeah, look, I, I can give mine. Um, I've heard different perspectives from different people. So, yeah, I think it's good to hear different ones. I think there's this perhaps myth out there that, you know, trans women are just going to be totally dominating women's sport, that, that fear or fairness. Yeah, look, that's, that's, you know, people have been put, putting this fear out there since like the at least the 80s when, when we've had um, Renee Richards um, competing in tennis. Um, there's there's going to be trans women are just going to take over. And look, the reality is, I, 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 like I said with this 
numbers before. There's 11,000 athletes at the Olympics. How many are trans? You know, there's been four or five, four Olympics at least so far. Um, let's put it in perspective. Like, um, I think media need to make sure that this perspective is actually put there because somebody who's new to this topic who doesn't know anything will be like, oh my God, there's these new things coming in which are allowing trans people, trans women to compete um, as women, as who they are. And that's meaning that, that, that all of a sudden there's that fear, you know, there's the, it goes to that, that place of, you know, the, fear, the supposed fairness, fairness issues. So I think uh, media has an important role to play with making sure they provide the proper context um, in what they're doing. So I think that's massive. Um, yeah, and I think some of the ways that, that uh, it's being framed in terms of like, yeah, do a trans woman biologically, um, you know, going into the biological arguments, it's, that's just um, the, the, wrong, the wrong way of even going about it because, you know, if it was the idea of say, um, would you say uh, women who are over six feet tall should, um, um, should not be able to compete because um, they may have an unfair advantage. No, nobody ever says that. What I'm saying is, you know, that's the wrong question, but it's about the human rights. It's about making sure that um, everybody has, um, should be counted, trans women should be counted as women and have the chance to compete as equal citizens just like anybody else. What you say about context is very important because 11,000 athletes will be in Tokyo, three will be trans. One's an alternate, one's in a team sport, one will be in an individual sport. And as far I am with you on that whole idea about size, because there are black ferns who are six foot and like 80 plus kilos who are, that's putting a good, that's putting a good amount of weight on me and yeah. my, and my relatively light around, oh, like 55, 60 kilos here. Are we serious here about this, about this demonization? Now, yeah, women come in all shapes and sizes. And actually some of the, the black, well, some of the, some of our great leading cis women rugby players have actually come out and said the same thing here in New Zealand and they've been great allies. Yeah, I also know one commentator, Alice Soper, who when they when they were talking about the whole thing with World Rugby last year, the first words out of her mouth was... I think it's complete nonsense. Um, we have so much... It, it's based on an underlying assumption that all cis women are built in the same way, which you only need to go down to your local club game in the weekend to figure out that that is patently false. Uh, we have a whole range of body types, and that's the beautiful part of our game is that all body types can make it onto the field and be useful. So, you know, whether that's when I started, I was a tiny little thing um, and was on the field with people that were twice my size, and there wasn't much concern about player welfare there, so this feels like a bit of scapegoating, if you ask me. Yeah. And I think you can look at the same thing as far as Laurel Hubbard. Now, as far as Hubbard, what message would you want to give her as she's training and preparing to head into this maelstrom? And, yeah. and we're talking about a person who's been very private, won't give interviews, won't put her, has probably put herself in the public eye once in the last four years or so. What message would you give her as far as dealing with what's coming? 
I, I know that she's getting a lot of support from from the Olympic team, and look, I know she won't be wanting to let the media distract her, so and so so she can just focus on on her weightlifting. But yeah, it might be quite difficult for her to block it out. But I, I just think I, I just would want her to know that, um, yeah, um, we're so everybody I talk to, and and so many of us, we, we're just all so proud of her for being such a trailblazer. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be hard for anyone to anybody to compete at the elite level, um, and yeah, someone someone has to be the first. And and yes, I know that there are there are some others there, but look, um, yeah, I I just want to say look, I'm I'm just so proud of her, and I'm just so proud that that we have these um, great role models out there for for like I said before, like a, a young trans girls and and young women. Um, you know, who may be wanting to, to, to be thinking about whether there is actually a future for them in elite sport. Last question here. Monday, August 2nd. Laurel Hubbard steps onto the podium, does her lifts, does great lifts, podiums, maybe even... As much as a long shot it may be, given the, given the competition, a gold medal or any medal. What do you think that would mean for the trans community in New Zealand to see her competing and perhaps even getting on a podium? What, would that, what do you think that moment would mean for transgender New Zealanders? And also, from a personal standpoint, how do you think you'll feel when you see it, when you're looking on TVNZ and you see her approach that platform to take her shot. Yeah, look, I'll be watching, I'll be cheering her on and I'll be really proud and, and hoping that she wins gold. Um, and I, like I was doing for, we have the Commonwealth Games here, which I guess is a bit of an antiquated colonial term where a lot of the, the, um, the, we have Britain and a lot of the, the former British colonies have our own games too. And yeah, we, we were doing that. We were doing that too. So yeah, we'll be cheering her on. I'll be so proud of her. But you know, I will be also oh, wary of, of whether there are, what that means in terms of more hurtful and hateful comments. And um, that, 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 that this just might energize um, some of these opponents um, further. But look, we can't let this stop, stop her. We know that she's done everything that she needs to do to compete against the odds, against the, the IOC guidelines and, and her injury. So, yeah, look, let, we, we need to celebrate her for, for her for what she's doing and we just need to keep on fighting for that and... and uh, all of us, you know, uh, all of our trans communities, all of our allies, all of our great athletes like yourself, just um, <laughs> keeping on the, um, keeping on the, and the media like yourself too, just mm -hmm. be on the, um, keeping on the, the progress that we're making. Look, we are getting there. Sometimes it can feel a little bit uh, like there is, um, yeah, like, like there is some backlash and, and it can feel like one step forward, two steps back sometimes. But, you know, you only have to look look back at um, the past to see how far we've come. And, I, and I'm, I'm really positive for, for the future. For for more of our athletes and for, like I said, the, the trans girls and young women coming through and, and the next generation, I really hope there'll, there'll be many more than three 
in the the next Olympics because you know you think of the number of people who are trans. If there are eleven thousand athletes, it's got to be more than three who are trans. So, yeah, um, we'll get yeah we'll get there to to a, to a more positive future with with fewer barriers and greater trans acceptance and celebrations of of, of ourselves. Yeah. I don't know about me being a great athlete. I'm no Laurel Hubbard, that's for certain. Uh, but, but I can tell you one thing. It was good to have you on the podcast today. I'm rooting for Laurel. And I'll say that quite definitively, especially for the comeback she's made from that injury. Because that was, a, that was a gruesome injury at the Commonwealth Games. That was gruesome. I mean, they, that ends a lot of careers. And she fought back. And I also want to put the word out, Laurel, I want to beam you up in the transporter room. Now, I know that you don't necessarily talk to the press. I don't blame you the way they've treated you. But I'm asking you to come in this forum. I'm I'm asking you to come in this forum and realize that you have worldwide support. And, uh, And Jamie, I want to thank you for joining us. And also thank you for the work that you're doing with WPATH and with PATHA and making your corner of the world safer because that's what it's going to take for us if we each work in each of our corners of the world make them a little bit safer we're going to end up yielding a safer world yeah that's a wonderful um wonderful message for laurel carly and thank you so much for 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 the wonderful privilege of of being able to to get to speak with you Uh, i've really appreciated it and i've really enjoyed our time Jamie, thank you for being here, and thanks to all of you for joining us here at the Transporter Room. And also, if there's something you want to see or something you want to say about what we're doing on this podcast, please, please leave your comments on our Twitter page, leave them on our Facebook page, because remember, everything I do, I do it for all of you. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. Live long and prosper. Study as she goes. I'll see you next week.